You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China, where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. What Follows was recorded live at DragonCon 2010. Thanks to everyone who helped make this possible. It's actually quite unlike anything we've ever seen before. A giant hairy creature, part ape, part man. In Loch Ness, a 24-mile-long bottomless lake in the highlands of Scotland. It's a creature known as the Loch Ness Monster. Monster Dog. Hi, I'm Blake Smith. I'm the host of the Monster Talk podcast. I'm a... Thank you. <laughs> I'm a writer, researcher, and a paranormal investigator, and this is my co-host. I'm uh, Ben Radford, uh, co-host of Monster Talk and investigator with uh, the Committee for Skeptical Inquiry and Skeptical Inquiry Science Magazine and various other things that I do. Cool. With it, with a, with it, thank you. With a... With a particular interest in, in um, monsters and cryptids and, and whatnot, um, just, you know, my last book was on lake monsters. My next book's, book is on the chupacabra. Um, I'm sure they'll find some new one for me to, to research soon enough. So, Yeah. Monster Talk actually, in a way, got its origin right here at this convention in probably 2007 was when I first started thinking about it. I think it was, I guess, July 2009 when we actually executed. Mm-hmm. I met Ben here in 2007. So, you know, I've, I've, I'm a, I come from a long background of paranormal investigation and being an enthusiast and interested in mysteries and finding out actual solutions. And i kind of inspired by Skepticality, which is another local podcast here. I got involved and thought, you know, I, I should do something in my field of interest. Uh, I'd done a lot of research about different paranormal mysteries, but never written them up or shared my findings. It was more about a, a quest to find the answers. That and the, the show Monster Quest came on, uh, the History Channel, and it didn't really seem to be about history or, or actually to successfully find monsters. Uh, but it did bring to light a lot of the folkloric creatures that I was already interested in. And I was a little bit offended that every episode there would be you know 55 minutes, well, really not that many, but 55 minutes of, of, of credulity and then five minutes of uh, a skeptic talking. And I wanted to sort of create a, a venue where it, we could actually have the science highlighted for the full hour. So that's actually the, the idea. And I contacted Ben Radford and uh, Dr. Karen Stolzno to join me in that quest to create a show that was more science-driven, but still talked about these creatures. So that's that's how the show came about. Yeah, and I was I was pleased um, that uh, the Blake asked me to to be part of it because again I, I had a long-standing interest in in monsters and this and that uh but like blake i was often frustrated uh by the the superficiality of 
basically everything out there, to be to be honest, uh, whether it's TV shows, podcasts, whatever else. There was nothing. They they were all content just to sort of throw up a couple. Ooh, isn't this weird? Isn't this weird? And then cut to a skeptic or not, and then end the show and say, Hey, you decide. And so one of the things that that um, that I think is one of the reasons that I'm especially proud of Monster Talk is that we go out of our way to make sure that we get some in-depth context and commentary. Um, we are not a soundbite show, and we do not want to be a soundbite show. Intelligent discussion and ideas uh, do not come from soundbites. They come from uh, discussion and dialogue among intelligent and, and interested people. And that's one of the things that I, I really think distinguishes Monster Talk is uh, not only do we let our guests talk uh, sometimes too much, but um, but we, we encourage that, and that's that's what we want. And so um, I, I've I've gotten feedback from some of our uh, some of the guests we had on who said, "Thank you for letting me get out more than a sound bite." I'm like, "You're welcome. Thanks for being on." And, and, and they, they're allowed to construct their their statements within a big context. So yeah, we, we're definitely what you call a long form podcast. We're not just naysayers. We are skeptical, but we're not just saying that these monsters aren't real. What we're trying to do is take a look at these monsters and use them as a springboard to highlight science. So what, a good example of that is our, our Nessie episode. Uh, there is, among the many hypotheses about what is the Loch Ness Monster, if it's a real thing, uh, the idea that it might be a, a, a Mesozoic marine reptile, a plesiosaur, still alive after all these years living in the Loch. So we went and found one of the leading experts on plesiosaurs to come and talk to us about what actual the science of what a plesiosaur is. And it was just fascinating. I mean, uh, things like the surgeon photo, which, you know, we think is a hoax, but even if it's not a hoax, it's definitely not a plesiosaur because it's, we discovered that their necks don't bend the way, that sort of swan-like way. Uh, I didn't know this at the time, but plesiosaurs uh, live their entire life cycle in the water. I learned a lot of science, a lot of really interesting facts. Uh, so they, they didn't lay mm -hmm. eggs. They gave live birth in the water. Um, just, just learned a lot of fascinating things. But what I thought would be a good uh, thing to do here at the convention, I, well, let me ask this question first. How many of you actually listen to the show? So quite a few of you. How many of you like monsters? Ooh, there you oh, go. Like that. Our people, you're in the right place. <laughs> so uh, how many of you think uh, that there's a possibility there are some really large, mysterious animals still alive out there in the wild? Cool. Yeah, I hope that's true. I really especially hope that the Orang Pendak or some kind of hominid, I'd really like to see a hominid turn out to be alive. That'd be fantastic. I, I really think that would move biology forward quite a bit with our information about our own species. So... Um, definitely not just a naysayer. We, we're definitely open to any you know real physical DNA or uh, body bodies, corpses, or live samples, live captures, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. So, but I thought it'd be fun if we took questions from you guys. Uh, so, is this Mike? Is this Mike hot here? So, so if you guys have any questions, you could ask. It'd be great. If you don't have any questions, I have a few online questions. Or we could or just, we can make it up. You know, or whatever. we could just do puns for the next forty minutes. No I mean, puns, Jesus. No puns. <laughs> so we've we, we got enough puns for a while. <laughs> So are you going to – how do you make the distinction between what's uh, cryptid and and isn't? I mean, is it the sort of thing you learn about in biology class? How does it – It's like – it's really – it's a lot like – on one end right. and – It's like virginity. Um, awesome. it, 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 <laughs> it's, it's a cryptid until it becomes a real animal. And then once we have a live one or a dead one and we can prove that it exists, we have DNA and we have, you know – 
a known sample of a, of a live one. I, I think it's but I mean, it's uncrypted. The distinction you make for, for inclusion in the show. For our show. Oh, the, well, you know, in the, the show, I, I made the show broad enough, or I hope I did, that we deal with monsters. I mean, we call ourselves the science show about monsters. And our, our goal is to have a broad spectrum of topics that we can deal with, anything from the thing living under your bed when you're a child to aliens to ghosts to goblins to giants to uh, – Yeah, pretty much whatever. Yeah. I mean we've had this discussion uh, several times sort of animated and, and you know, someone will, will pitch an idea and I'll say, well, that's – it's a great topic. What does it have to do with monsters? Right. That's true. And, and sometimes the answer is, well – Actually, now that you think about it, nothing, in which case I'm like, well, why don't we scale that off? Or if we can find an angle to it. Uh, and, and to my mind, that's the more interesting part is finding – finding Yeah, exactly. Finding a, a fresh angle to something that people wouldn't necessarily consider to be um, a, a monster. So that's, that's part right, of it. Right, because some of the things we deal with are topics that are uh, tied to cryptozoology. We dealt with the uh, – the Ivory Bill Woodpecker in one episode mm-hmm. because it's not a cryptid, but the there's a mysterious animal that people think is not alive anymore, and yet people are reporting them. That's the same kind of phenomena to be examining. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you just mentioned it. Can you explain to us what the Orang Pindak is and what's the latest news on that? Sure. Uh, the Orang Pindak is a proposed cryptid. I think it's Sumatra, right? Uh, well, first of all, cryptid. Not everyone so, knows what cryptid is. Okay, so cryptid is an unknown animal. It's a. It's it's a. It's, so a good example would be Bigfoot. Uh, it's an animal that many people have reported seeing, but we don't actually know if it's an actual living animal. Uh, so if it's a, a, a folkloric animal, an animal that people have reported, but we don't have any scientific evidence to, to prove, then that would be a cryptid. And so the Orang Pindak is a proposed or a, 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 it's a, a, a creature that lives in folklore. Uh, but we haven't actually seen any alive yet. Uh, it's supposed to be a little, hairy, human-shaped uh, creature. Um, some people think that there's a really good chance, because of the, the jungle environment that they're supposed to be living in, is really not that well-populated, that maybe it's really out there. We just had a guest on, a, a Dr. Darren Nash, who is fairly confident that they found real hairs of this creature. But uh, my position is until there's a body or uh, a good DNA sample to show that it matches what we would expect from an existing hominid, that's not really strong enough evidence. So, yeah, in a nutshell, it's sort of like a small Bigfoot, which is... (laughs) Right, 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 right. Um, they call but, him Littlefoot, actually. Yeah, yeah. Littlefoot. Yeah, it, it, it's there. To my mind, it's related to um, some things that I've done some research on called the duendes, which are known throughout Latin America, and they are, you know, again folkloric type creatures. But many people believe they exist. Uh, they're usually considered to be uh, very short, have a long beard. Oh, that's Randy. <laughs> no, 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 no. But they're 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 thought to be short. They have a long beard, uh, but their feet are backwards. Uh, and uh, they are said to harass, do mischief, occasionally kidnap children. Um, in fact, when I was in, um, when I was in uh, Nicaragua late last year, I was doing research for the chupacabra, and our, uh, my guide in the jungle when we were looking for chupacabra tracks, uh, he had actually been abducted by a duende as a child, as a baby. And uh, I didn't find this out until I went to his hometown and I interviewed, um, I think it was his aunt or something. So anyway, the, the idea behind the, behind the backward feet is that uh, you? That means you can't track them in the jungle because you don't know what which direction they're going. Because if it was a human, then the feet are facing forward. You know which way it went. If it's a duende, well, who knows where it went? So it's it's a little bit like that. I was wondering if you could comment a little bit on on how you would define cryptozoology. It seems to me that um, 
you know, this idea of looking for these and, and finding these, you know, hidden or, or lost species has, you know, been going on for a long time. Mm-hmm. There are giant squids, Komodo dragons, um, you know, uh, mountain gorillas, all that. Um, that were a lot of those started, you know, largely folkloric and all this, but they were found and described by zoology, not by cryptozoology. Right. You know, it seems like like cryptozoology is kind of a license to. Um, you know, sort of associate yourself with a legitimate science, but not play by the rules of science. That's, that's, that's a very good question. We've actually, the past two episodes we've done have, have been dealing with that topic. If you look at something like astronomy, uh, a large contribution to astronomical data comes from amateur scientists. And the question is, does a large part of the, the material we have in cryptozoology, uh, or is it turning into real biology? And so far... There seems to be um, a movement to legitimize some of the same types of tools you would use in cryptozoology uh, in, in, a, in, a, in a branch of science called ethnobiology, where you take folklore and use that to track down real animals. So people report seeing lizards of a certain type. You find that lizard through the folklore. Here's where we see that lizard, and there it is, right? And, and if cryptozoology does the same thing, you know, then that's certainly an accepted uh, – I mean, if you bring the evidence, bring it. That's great. That's fantastic. What uh, Darren Nash uh, suggested was that there's plenty of good data out there that's not being written up in science materials. It's not being written up journalistically in peer-reviewed journals because the people who approach this from an amateur perspective don't actually understand how that part of the science works and so they're afraid someone's going to steal their credit or steal their thunder. And what he's really pushing for, and I think is worth us talking about as well and pushing for, is for people who are willing, who have the time and the money and the funds to go look for these things, if they find legitimate evidence, that they should write it up and let it be found you know, in, in the science journal so that it could be, A, peer-reviewed, and, B, other people can replicate their data or get more information about these animals. So I haven't seen it much um, from like the kind of science or cryptozoology, rather, you would see on, say, the, the History Channel. Mm-hmm. But... Um, Darren says that in his experience, there's some pretty good data out there. So he's being exposed to it, I think, because he has uh, scientific credentials and people are sending him stuff to look at. And I just have a podcast and nobody sends me anything. So <laughs> yeah, I, I, haven't heard, I haven't heard him on your show, but I've read things he's written. Yeah, so. yeah he certainly a, you know comes from a science background. I guess my problem is why. So if if we fund these expeditions, you know, and they're privately funded, you know. Sure. We, um, which that's what zoology was historically. Um, sure. I mean, it wasn't a wasn't a profession. You know, if if fund these expeditions and they and they go out and find a yeti or whatever, aren't they just still doing zoology? You know, what's the point for creating? A, yeah, I mean, a, I, I, this dichotomy. I, I would say that's exactly right. Uh, you know, this is one of the issues that you come up with when you talk to cryptozoologists and people identify themselves as such, such as Lauren Coleman and others. Yeah. When you ask them. Now, which animals, which hidden animals, uh, cryptozoology means, have been located by cryptozoologists? Right. The answer is none. Uh, animals are still being found in the world. There, I'm, I'm absolutely certain that there are un, as yet undiscovered species, you know, in many different places, the the, the ocean's depths. Uh, there was a there was a cricket found in Namibia that hey, that was a cricket. I hadn't seen the cricket before. The thing is that the animals that are being discovered, number one, are being discovered by zoologists, not cryptozoologists. Yeah. And second of all, uh, they are not twelve foot tall uh, bipedal hominids in North America. They're simply not. The the creatures that we're finding uh, are again they're they're cricket sized <laughs> things in you know in in you know Saharan Africa, uh, Vietnam. Uh, the, and, and places like that. And so the, it's kind of a flawed argument to suggest that 
uh, well, you know, we don't know all the things in the world. That's true. And yet, you know, and what about Bigfoot? Well, well, hold on here. We're, we're talking apples and oranges. Um, and so that, that has always been sort of a thorn in the side of, of, of well-meaning cryptozoologists yeah, is, you know, that they can't really point to anything uh, new that they're doing. And also I think the, um, the, the field's kind of filled with uh, a, a really wide range of, of people. Yeah. So people who, like Jeff, Jeff Meldrum, who's a, a perfectly qualified anthropologist who believes that Bigfoot's a real animal. And then you have people who think that Bigfoot is a paranormal creature that can travel between <laughs> dimensions, right? So, or a spirit guide, or, or a spirit of the forest. And so, you you don't get that in astronomy because you don't have like you don't go to astronomy meetings and then oh so also there's astrologists there and also ufologists there. Mm-hmm. Usually you just get astronomers yeah. and people who actually know what's up in the space. But you know I, I've talked to lots and lots of people and cryptozoology is full of people who are biblical creationists, young Earth creationists, right. and and they are looking for the mysteries to be solved by finding the mysterious creatures. And, and maybe, uh, you know, that's not real science. Let me just touch on one other, pick up on one thing. Um, that you, and you touched on earlier in terms of uh, there being organized searches for these creatures. Um, and I've often heard it uh, suggested that the reason that w- there is not better evidence for these, these monsters is that, well, no, one, no one's looking for them, and number two, there's no effort into them. Uh, that's not true. Uh, there have been well-funded, well-organized expeditions. For, for, for example, those done by Tom, um, Tom Swift. Tom Slick. Tom, Tom Slick. Slick. I was yeah. thinking of Tom Swift. I love Tom Swift. <laughs> Tom Swift's awesome. Yeah, we could join them together and have electric ref- rifles uh, hunting down monsters. Give me Swifty. <laughs> Tom Swifty. Um, yeah, Tom Slick, who did expeditions in, in, in the fifties, for example. Um, and so it, it, it is. You know, it's true that you know there is not official government funding to go look for these creatures, as well there shouldn't be. Uh, if you want to go look for Bigfoot, go look for Bigfoot. <laughs> Knock yourself out. Get a pair of tennis shoes and a camera. Check check it out. There, there's you know I, I've I've gone looking for these monsters as well. But but this uh, and I, I get this a lot. Like well you know the reason we all need to designate taxpayer funds to look for Nessie. If you want to pay for it, go for it. Um, to my mind, uh, public resources, limited public resources, need to be diverted to those things for which there's promise, for which there's good evidence. And it's not that scientists don't touch um, cryptids because it shakes their worldview or they're scared of it or something. No, the reason that for the most part mainstream scientists don't deal with this is because there is not good evidence to work from. If there was better evidence, they would say, oh, there's something here. But if, if all you're giving them is anecdotes and hair samples that, are, that, are, that come back unknown, what are you supposed to do with that? Thanks, guys. Cool. Hi. Uh, what's your favorite monster to research? You go first. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, my my favorite monster is probably um, the chupacabra. Um, I don't know if you were here for my talk yesterday, uh, but I I spent five years researching the chupacabra, the, the Hispanic vampire beast from that originated in Puerto Rico, um, and that. I mean, obviously, I have to love the subject, or I wouldn't have spent so much damn time on it. Um, but uh, that one just intrigued me, partly because it was such a new creature, uh, for, really from 1995. Um, unlike, uh, you know, some people claim that, for example, Nessie, you know, actually the, the original sightings from Nessie. I wish Dan Loxton were here; he could he could help us out with it. <laughs> um, Dan's writing a book on lake monsters, but you know, the original stuff from Nessie really only came about in the 30s, and Bigfoot. Oh, is he? There we go. There's Dan. Um, 
But uh, but for example, you look at you know, and, and some people, for example, with, with Bigfoot sightings, people say, well, you know, even though the Bigfoot phenomena really only began about 50 years ago, give or take, that well, if you look at these Native American stories from you know from 1830s that they're describing Bigfoot, well, in fact, they're not. They're describing something different. But in the case of the Chupacabra. You don't even have that. It's, I mean, there's nobody who really disputes that it essentially appeared uh, either in the early 90s or 1995. So that's um, that's probably my favorite one, just because it's such a weird. And plus, it also has the vampire element. I mean, that that's what's cool to me is that you know Bigfoot doesn't have a tradition of vampirism. Uh, uh, the Ogopogo monster is, is is actually known for for killing people, <laughs> but uh, it's one of the few ones. But but it's really the chupacabra is the only vampire creature that's out there. Um, so just that angle to it appealed to me. So that, that's probably my favorite. I, I also have a book on it coming out in March. Yeah, and you have that with a scientific paranormal investigations book. Yeah. So. Yes, I got uh, yeah, yeah. new book, scientific paranormal investigations. The, I think <laughs> there's a there's a chapter on Ogopogo and one on um, on one on uh, Chupacabra. Is that right? Yeah, it's it's a good book for telling you how to do these investigations yourself. Thanks. Fact. So I didn't it. you contribute to it? I did have a small contribution to that. Very so. good. As did Dan Loxton. Yeah. <laughs> See, uh, to answer your question, um, ghosts is my favorite monster to investigate. Um, some people don't think of ghosts as monsters. I, again, I, my qualification is: would it scare a kid, or could it be a, 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 a monster of the week on Scooby Doo? You know. So um, it was a low bar. Yeah. Well, it's a low bar. <laughs> but I like ghosts. I like ghosts. Um, I think they're probably one of the most important monsters because if they're real, if they turn out to be real, the, the concept that uh, your human intelligence could exist beyond your physical body is an extremely important idea to I me. Mean, I would probably slack off of my work if I had uh, unlimited uh, time later. So uh, not seeing that evidence yet. So I'm continuing to work hard now. So. Uh, Ooh, we yes, have we have a question from. Ooh, is, <laughs> is, is, is this an inter- intercontinental question from Dr. Rachie? Hi. Humpty Doo. <laughs> <laughs> Crikey. Um, I was going to ask this of you, Blake, but I've had this talk with Ben before, and it's basically about the method which uh, a lot of cryptozoologists or ghost hunters use in investigating. They tend to sort of cut corners a lot and go in with a concept rather than look for evidence and then make a decision about what they've seen. Um, can you comment on that, Blake, about uh, what you think, uh, how that could be improved and why do you think they don't tend to adopt a scientific approach? I mean, I know Ben, for example, is not a scientist, but he's just he's learned to do it thoroughly and properly. Um, where And then, you know, you get the ghost hunters that go in with EMF machines and go, oh, there's a ghost... Would you care to comment on why you think they are lacking in that sense? Uh, this would be entirely opinion, um, but I would think that, for example, a ghost hunter would probably go into a mystery situation looking for a ghost um, and, and might be looking, not maybe not even consciously, but having a tendency to fix the facts towards that creature that they're looking for. Um, I've seen a little bit of that with the chupacabra, where it seems like any roughly chupa sized creature that even remotely looks mysterious comes up to be a chupacabra which is a little odd especially uh they're doing a lot of hairless dogs now now that doesn't really match the original chupa profile um but that seems to be how that works so people um don't necessarily have the training i think would be one part of the problem also that how do you look at the investigation okay so just as a whole big broad spectrum of information People doing ghosts kind of research usually try to find out, did somebody die here? 
right? So before they even find out what it, the phenomena is being reported. So one of my rules of thumb is look precisely to see what the phenomena being reported is, not does it match up with all the kind of ghost data you would expect in a, in a full haunting. You know, I heard someone walking on the floorboards and there was no one here. Okay, well, that's a, that's one piece of data. That doesn't necessarily mean go see who died here. So that's... And I, I would just add to that that um, in both cryptozoology and ghost hunting, what you find is that many of the people who are interested in this, um, they just like the sexy stuff. They like walking around cemeteries at night with cameras. They like being in you know old abandoned insane asylums. Uh, they like uh, you know tromping through the the jungle with Matt Moneymaker and his crew, uh, the B, the Bigfoot Field Research Organization guy, uh, going out you know having some beers and looking for Bigfoot. Um, they're generally not interested in doing the the, um, the the folkloric end of it. They're not interested in going to the library. They're not interested in digging up early reports of these things. That's not fun to them. Um, it's fun to us because we dig this. But but to them, the, the 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 core of what they're interested in is the is the woo woo stuff they they see on TV. I have a two part question. Okay, <laughs> um, and you are. Uh, Daniel Locks. Dan Locks. Okay, I've heard of you. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Editor for Junior Skeptic and a, and a fine researcher and cryptozoological re- researcher in his own right. Thank you. Um, if Bigfoot or the Loch Ness monster or a really cool cryptid like that were to show up, or or you know even even a more obscure critter, first of all, how big a party would you throw? And second of all, how would that change cryptozoological skepticism? Um. How big of a party would I throw? Uh, is it found like, in Georgia? <laughs> Again? Maybe, maybe. <laughs> I, would, I would be very excited. I would be thrilled. I, I have to admit that when the, the Georgia Bigfoot uh, hoax from a couple of years ago happened, my neighbor called me, and, and he said, um, uh, they found Bigfoot. I just saw it on CNN. And I, and, and I was like, I, I, before I spoke, I... I felt a real rush of excitement. I was like, really? But I said, wait, did they really find Bigfoot? Or did they say that someone said they found Bigfoot? He's are like, they, are they the same thing, Blake? No, I mean, they're, they're not the same thing. Oh. And, and he, he stopped for a minute and said, hold on. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> hold on. It's like, so it was, they, there's a lot of news reporting like that where, you know, like, someone reports finding Bigfoot and that's somehow news. Show me the body. But um, I would be very, very, very excited if if, uh, if any of those large cryptids, uh, whether terrestrial or marine, were found. Uh, mm-hmm. I would love to see a sea serpent, uh, even if it just turns out to just be a big, big snake with no frills or mane or any of the other features. That would be very exciting. And what was the second part of the question? Oh, uh, how, would it how would it change cryptozoology? Well, I, just considering how much flogging they do on the coelacanth, which they had nothing to do with, I would say it would change it uh, to make uh, Bigfoot more popular than the coelacanth would be the big change. Um, you know, we found Bigfoot. What's next? I, I would think that a lot of uh, cryptids that still had very little evidence would get a lot more credibility mm-hmm. would be the impact. It wouldn't change my approach at all, though. I would just be thrilled that Bigfoot was real. Yeah, I mean, I, I'd be tickled. I, you know, on occasion, I... I uh, I was talking at a Bigfoot conference in Idaho a couple years back, and of course I was the token skeptic. I think I almost I think I did have a T-shirt that said "token skeptic" on the back, just just so they could identify. But it was me. like token, like token. right, yeah, token <laughs> skeptic, man. And um, and you know, and I they sort of there were a couple of people there who kind of snide, and they're like, "Well, you know, boy, you're gonna have egg on your face when we find Bigfoot." 
Uh, well, no, I'm, I'll be right there with you, man. I mean, I, I don't, you know, I'm, I'm not paid to doubt Bigfoot. Uh, I'd investigate. And, you know, so th- there's this whole assumption that I somehow am against it or I don't want these things to be found or I'm working for, I don't know, Big Pharma. Or I, don't know, I, I don't know who they think that I'm, I don't know who, whose payroll they think I'm on, but I have nothing. In fact, you know, any of us that are, that are working doing this, we would love to find these things. I mean, that's, that's that, you know. I mean, just, sure. just for example, I mean, just off the top of my head, uh, you could look at it and see if it has the fox Two gene, I think, for whether or not it has the the ability to vocalize and speak. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, obviously, if it was alive, you could ask it. But uh, I mean, this how big English. is it, how, how tall is it? Is it really eight feet tall? Is it twelve feet mm-hmm. tall? You know, how big are its feet? Uh, tons of questions. I'd love to see answers. Yeah, I mean, I would are its breasts right. hairless and floppy like in the Patterson film, or are they pert and you know? I don't know. You okay? <laughs> I got excited. I'm okay. Oh, yeah, All right. Right. <laughs> Sorry. Go ahead. Kind of a related question. Are you concerned or apprehensive that if you confirm a living cryptid that it could actually lead to its demise, that it would become, you know, more endangered because of the rush to go see it? Well, I, I'm personally not. Um, the, that, that, that question has been brought up on occasion. Well, you know, well, what, what if there, there's actually in, in the Bigfoot community, there's, there's something of debate that it's called the... Um, Oh, is it the the, 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 shoot, the shoot debate? Killer capture. The killer capture debate. Yeah. You know, and, and the idea is, if there is only one of these or a handful of these, um, is it ethical to kill a Bigfoot if, in the process of doing so, uh, you prove its existence? Uh, well, first of all, if there's only one of them, <laughs> they're screwed anyway. Yeah. I mean, you know, he ain't going to be a happy Bigfoot. Uh, second of all, even if there's only a few of them, the, the, the breeding population you would need, they're doomed anyway, as it is. Uh, and second of all, um, even though a couple places have, uh, have ex- for example, uh, in Vermont and New York, a couple places have actually extended supposed uh, endangered species protection to, uh, for example, the, the Lake Champlain monster, um, th- you have to know something is there in order to protect it. Um, so to my mind, you know, if, if you have to kill one of them in order to, in order to know what they are, because if you kill one you have one, then you can study it and figure out what's its, hab- what's its habitat. What does it eat? And then that that will that that information will lead you to if there are other ones will lead you to uh, how, how to help preserve the habitat. Well, so, uh, it, it, about me. Yeah. Hello, I'm Paul Giamatti, and I'm Stephen Asma. Each week on Chinwag, we dig into the weird topics you wonder about that you care about, the stuff none of us are totally sure of, like the Bermuda Triangle, Mothman, consciousness, philosophy, UFOs, ghosts, or say Bigfoot. So who's to say that there's not alien species that are Sasquatch? Like I've seen a ghost, and I would hear something walking and breathing. Maybe every path is right. I will accept as a premise that every path is right. That is a face on Mars. Eyes, nose. It kind of looked like Wilson the volleyball. Some people enjoy the waves or whatever uh, crashing, and I enjoy listening to a quantum physics audiobook. I do think there are many things in the world that we just don't understand yeah. and probably won't understand. That's our yeah. whole show. <laughs> so join us every Wednesday on all major podcast platforms and find us on Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter at ChinwagPod and Wagon. Everybody, shush! William Shatner has something to say. Cat and Jethro, box of oddities. What do you do when the woman you love dies? 
Well, of course, you dig her up and you live with her. Aww. The show examines weird things. There are plenty of old photographs from this time period of children out in the streets playing in and among the dead horse carcasses. Oh, I miss those days. Things used to be so much simpler. Cat and Jethro. Then there's the urine wheel, which sounds like a really bad game show. They've done weird things. Cat and Jethro, Box of Oddities. That is really mysterious. Join Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the Box of Oddities. The Webby Award-winning Box of Oddities podcast from Airwave Media. Yeah, I was going to say, in, in a sort of silly way of answering the question, um, Bigfoot seems impervious to car hits and gunshots already, so it's probably not in much danger. But it, it, realistically, things like uh, the way the, uh, the ivory bill woodpecker was treated, uh, uh, scientists and researchers and birders descended on the location where it was reported. Mm-hmm. Everybody wanted to see it. That might not be really good for the bird or the habitat had it turned out to be alive, which uh, it doesn't seem to be. It was good for the local economy, though. It was great for the economy for a few minutes. Yeah. Uh, but no, I think most of these creatures, the, to be um, to be plausible, have to be in remote locations where it's not really feasible for a lot of human encroachment anyway. Um, but uh, on the other hand, if it's like Bigfoot and people report it all the time in every state of the union, why aren't we hitting them with the car? That's you know, it's got it's got its own problems. All right. I'm Brian Dunning from Skeptoid.com. Hey, Brian Dunning. <laughs> I want to hear your thoughts, your real thoughts, not a BS answer like, oh, neither of them are plausible. Which is more plausible, orang pin deck or the relic giant sloths in the Amazon? Oh, and I, let me just say I would love the giant sloths to be real. I, that, that, that is an awesome animal. They've got one here at Fernbank Science Center. Um, uh, just sort of, a, I don't know if it's a, just a mock-up or I guess it is. It would have to be, right? I think they just have skeletons. Well, they found one really good uh, a corpse. I think it turned out to be. It looked like it was freshly killed or recently killed. It turned out to be like fourteen thousand years old. Um, so they, they store real well if you have a meat locker. I imagine. Uh, but they're they're gorgeous animals. Uh, uh, I would love that one to be real. But the, if I had to pick between the two, the, the giant sloth. Yeah, I, I would say. I mean. If the question is essentially, um, are there more likely extant populations of, of unknown creatures in the jungles of South America or the jungles of um, what was what did you say? Or the, the Pendek? Oh, I think it's Sumatra. Sumatra, right? Yeah. Um, I would probably say Sumatra, uh, just because I mean there's you know they're still finding weird stuff there, um, but. Um, of course, the ground sloth. I don't know. That, 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 that's a tough one. Um, I would guess that just because of the nature of the creatures, I would I would guess that if there was good evidence for the pendek, that would have been that would have surfaced by now. Whereas for the sloth, maybe not so much. So well, me, I'm, I'm going to have to go with the sloth. Yeah, I'm going to have to throw this out. I would love to see the sloth, but from a scientific perspective, it would probably be more important to us as a species and for our science to find the orang pendek alive because. Apparently, it already walks upright, which implies that it's from a part of our origin that makes it more closely related to us than chimpanzees or any other living animal. So it would probably give us more uh, useful scientific data uh, to be able to study another hominid than it would to be the, to study the sloth, although the sloth is wicked cool. So, yeah. Hi. If you could choose any uh, extinct creature or cryptid to eat, which one would it be and why? Uh, also, possibly, uh, how would you prepare it? 
Oh, that's a great question. Mm. No, you go first. Well, uh, extinct creatures, you know, uh, I'm fond of telling my children that when we eat chicken, we're eating dinosaurs. Uh, so uh, that's nice. I I would uh, – um, apparently the kraken, uh, the giant squid, has too much ammonia in it to really be edible. Mm. So I don't want to eat that. Mm-hmm. And – you know, it's extinct, but I would like to eat mammoth. I think I would like to try mammoth or mastodon or one of the big elephant creatures. Yeah, I uh, – wow. Um, I would have to say, yeah, dinosaur of some sort. Um, maybe T-Rex, Stegosaurus. So you you got to get away from the theropods and go for the sauropods because you can have chicken now. Well, yeah, uh, but <laughs> I, I, want, I want something different. Barbecue. <laughs> oh, you want Makalimabimbe. Mm. So. Yeah. <laughs> Oh, that's right. Uh, I would uh, I would probably do it like the ribs in the Flintstones and eat it off the side of my car. <laughs> Barbecue. Hi. Uh, I was wondering what you think the main factors contributing to the popularity of the cryptozoology shows on television right now are. Because I've tried watching maybe a few episodes of, I think it's Monster Hunter, and it could not hold my attention for like the few times I tried. I mean, it might just be that they never find anything, or they never find anything in the end. But do you think that has anything to do with it, or it's, or like maybe if they get canceled? I, that's a great question. Uh, I'm not sure. Like for example, I mean, you've got Destination Truth, and uh, that's still around. And Monster Quest had uh, three seasons, and, and um, I don't know how popular it was. I think it started off pretty exciting, and what they they try to gloss these things up and make it seem like it's a lot of fun. I think really doing an expedition to go find a monster is pretty not interesting. I mean, you know, they, how many times can you show them tying off tree cams, you know, uh, and try to make it exciting? And then and they review the film at the end, and you know, they see a coyote, and they see a bird, and they see a crow. And I mean, let's be honest. Tree cams are fantastic fun. I mean, uh, I would love to have one in my house just to like catch the possums and the deers running through my backyard, or my neighbors, or whatever. But uh, <laughs> streaking the back. I don't know how to make it engaging, and, and it wasn't engaging to me. But I slogged through it just because I wanted to see what they were saying. Um, that's that's um, that's a problem, I think. Um, it's but you know, Scooby Doo does a good job of making it interesting. Um, and I think part of that is um, they have those scenes where people run in a hallway and go in one door and come out the other side on the other hallway, um, and, and, and the drum beat and the song. So those are all good factors. They got the mask. So it's kind of a silly answer, but I'm not sure because they don't do a good job of engaging my attention either. So guest stars is. I think if Don Knotts hadn't died, I would love right. to have seen him on Monster Quest. There you so. go. There you go. <laughs> Uh, what's the latest on the uh, missing link they found, and uh, has it sent any ripples or shockwaves out, or did somebody just kill it? Are you talking happened? about the, um, the thing with the finger that they found in the stone? I forget what they, they it had a name. They always give it a name. The one that looked, it was like the little bitty thing that they they made a big news flash about. Uh, it was like a lemur was, type thing, something like that. Yeah, I, I saw a little bit of coverage on that. Um, was it Artie you're talking about? No, not Artipithecus. There was another one. It was much smaller, like one of the earliest primates. What they say the, the problem named it something like Erica. Or well, the, the, the problem is like, right when you find a fossil that old. Unless you can find something else uh, really near it in the strata to kind of date it, uh, it's it's hard to say what it turned out to be from an evolutionary perspective. That looks like an. It could, how do we know that's really in our in our direct branch? I don't know if that science has been decided. Um, the Artipithecus was really interesting though because it pushed back when it, it looks like the first feature to show up that really distinguished us from the apes is upright walking, not necessarily a big brain. Mm-hmm. And what, again, that's why it's so important when they have these hominid sightings 
finding a hominid means there's something that's really way more related to us, five or six million years more related to us than uh, bonobos or chimps. So yeah. that's kind of that's why I get really excited about those. Okay. So yeah. uh, let me just back up to the, the earlier question about about TV shows um, because I've uh, having dealt with some of these 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 folks. Part of the problem is that. They go into the show. The show is basically already scripted before you before you show up. Um, and so, um, I, I remember, for example, I was out for a, a show called Monster Quest. Um, I'm sure many of you have seen it. And I, they uh, they flew me out to um, to Cuero, Texas, well, San Antonio, Cuero, Texas, for for the Chupacabra. And uh, I met with the producer in my hotel the night before the shoot, and he was like, he wanted to give me call times, and here's your schedule, and be here this time, and you know, have this kind of shirt on, blah blah blah. I said, "Oh, that's great." I said, "You know, if you, if you have 15 minutes, I can lay out the whole chupacabra thing for you. I mean, you know, I can here's here's you know, these are the early reports. I can piece this together for you like no one has done before." And he sort of he 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 sort of he watched for a little while. Um, and he's like, well, yeah, that, that's fine, whatever. And he clearly was not interested. Uh, it didn't matter what I brought to it. It didn't matter what questions he had about the Chupacabra. Because he, he's a producer. He's a TV producer. Nothing against him, but that's you know, his job is not investigating things. His job is putting together a 52-minute show. Uh, and it quickly became clear to me that, uh, the, the, again, they had a script to follow, and I hadn't written the script. And... Um, they weren't interested. I mean, this is not going to come as a shock to anybody, but they were not interested in the truth. They were not interested in what the chupacabra was or was not. They were interested in getting, uh, you know, getting their experts slotted in, having them say things that more or less fit with the, the the pre-written script, and end with, "Well, we presented with you know all this information to you. You decide." Uh, so you know, I fine, whatever. I mean, I can I can do their little dog and pony show, um, but I think that's part of the problem. I think that. Um, that these monsters are inherently interesting. I think all the things we do uh, in terms of you know the things we investigate. I mean, if we didn't find it interesting, we wouldn't uh, spend our time on this. But I think there are ways to make them. Uh, there are ways to to you know sex up the monsters, um, and and you know it, if you need to have more mystery in it to draw people and introduce skepticism and science, then then I'm all for that. But as long as there's actual good science. I just want to say something. I just saw on Twitter that Brian Dunning won the Parsec Award. Congratulations. All right, Brian. Assuming that's true, I heard it on the Internet. So. Yes, you are. Thanks for choosing Monster Talk over the Parsec Award. Yeah, that's great. We'll get you next time, Brian. Gentlemen, um, two weeks from now, the Mothman Festival comes up in Point Pleasant, West Virginia. Woo! And there it is. Oh, right there. <laughs> and uh, the Mothman is a big deal in that area. Yeah. Uh, brings in a lot of money for the festival. They have a big statue there in town. Do you have any good stories related to someone or an area or a place or people who got very, very upset at you because of you questioning a monster or you know, challenging the existence of a monster? Yeah, there was um, a young girl who contacted me and told me um, that she had experienced a monster that had been bothering her, uh, like, repeatedly. 
and it would apparently come out at night and bother her. And and I told her to go back to bed that there was no monster. Uh, but ultimately, she just said, "Daddy, there is a monster." And uh, I, I haven't been able to overcome the sort of she can see it and I can't phenomena. So, but no, actually, I have not had any listeners contact me angrily. Uh, I think uh, my my email address is doctoratlantis at gmail dot com. If anybody has any angry emails, feel free to send them. Just to, um, just to Blake. Yeah, obviously, I, occasionally I offend people like these people who are leaving. <laughs> <laughs> See you later, Ted. <laughs> so no, I, I really would. I would love to. Actually, you know, that's not true. I did actually get into a, a kind of a heated discussion with someone. Um, one of my first public investigations, again, I, I did years and years of them on my own just to find my own answers. But um, uh, the Rick Jacobs, uh, the guy who took the Big, Bigfoot photo or creature photo um, in Pennsylvania, um, he, uh, he objected to me using his photo as part of um, a YouTube series that I did trying to kind of examine the creature. I'd like to redo those with a, a, a better tone. I think I was a bit snarky. And, but the problem was I was doing them because I thought it was well, ridiculous. Why don't, you, why don't you give a little background for now? Yeah, let me give you that. a background. It, Rick had uh, – he's a hunter, and he had um, trail cams that he had put out to help him find where to hunt deer. So he put out a, a, a salt lick and uh, had a uh, – which is, you know, deer will come and find salt and lick it. And uh, over, over uh, several days he took these pictures. But these creatures showed up in his photos – um, two uh, bears, a mama bear, and then something mysterious. So the mysterious thing was shaped in roughly the same size as a bear, but uh, in some, if, if you look at it in some ways, I could see they, they thought it was a primate. And he was contacted by the BFRO, which is the Big Foot Field Research Organization, and um, given a lot of publicity in, in the release of these photos as potentially Bigfoot. Um, unfortunately, I mean, in the photos, you see bears, bears, odd creature, bears. And the odd creature looks a lot like a bear without hair uh, or missing some of its hair. And it turns out that mange uh, is a common cause for bears to become hairless. Bear biologists looked at the photos and said it's a bear. Um, I did a lot more analysis than that. I went in and took a lot of measurements and found that uh, it's the same size as some of the creatures that they also reported to be a bear, but it's darker. Anyway, at any rate, it's a bear, all right? Um, it's a freaking bear. Deal with it. Deal with it. bear. But when, when I posted the photos, I wasn't responding to him in particular. He just had a trail cam. I didn't even know him or care that he had a trail cam or that he thought it was a bear or a Bigfoot. It wasn't really important. But but I, because I took the wrong tone, I think, in my in my videos, it was, it was very dismissive of the people who thought it was a, a Bigfoot, um, uh, we got into a heated discussion about whether or not it was appropriate to use his photos. There's something called the fair use clause in the copyright laws of America that says if you're doing an analysis of something, you can show the picture. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I was pretty clearly covered there, but um, we did have a heated exchange about the way that, that I had uh, talked about it because he took it very, very personally when I, when I said it was ludicrous um, that, that anyone would think this is anything but a bear. Maybe the word um, ludicrous was the problem. Well, yeah. Again, I, I, I've I've tried to change my approach in interfacing with be- believers or advocates for these creatures because um, my position really comes down to if there's adequate scientific evidence, I'll believe it too. You know, um, it's not that hard. I, I'm less inclined to believe you know paranormal creatures that can travel through walls and fly without wings, that kind of thing. But. Uh, yeah, I, these uh, these these. I don't think I convinced him that it was a bear, 
Uh, and I think he was well incented from a cash perspective to keep it as a, mis- a mystery at best or, yes. or, um, or, or say it's Bigfoot and not back off of that. Yeah, I mean, I think the, I'd, I've never actually, when I was investigating like lake monsters, for example, I, um, I, I've i never had anyone come up to me and, and sort of, you know, give me the evil eye and say, you're trying to disprove our monster, aren't you? You see these T-shirts behind me? They're 20 bucks, man. You know what? You know what's going to happen to my T-shirts if you disprove it? Um, the, the, the one that I sort of got in the middle of um, was in... Uh, in Lake Okanagan in, in, in British Columbia, uh, I was there for um, doing investigation into the Ogopogo Lake monster there, uh, along with the National Geographic. And uh, Joe, Joe Nickel and I were there, and also John Kirk, a, a researcher in, in, in BC. And what was odd was that in this particular case, there were two towns that were vying for the title of home of Ogopogo. Uh, both of them wanted to claim, like, hey, we got a lake monster, they're both on the lake. No one knows where its home is. I mean, it's said to be on this place called Monster Island, but, you know, it doesn't get its mail there. It's not, you know, no one really knows exactly where it is. Um, and But to, to the locals, like, no, we are the home of Ogopogo. And Penticton said, no, we are. And Kelowna said, no, we are. So anyway, apparently it was just lawsuits and people got killed and stabbed. I don't know. <laughs> bad, bad things happened. But in, in, in the end result... Um, so it, stabbed with an Ogopogo stick. Yeah. But, <laughs> oh. How long do we go without a bad pun? 1408. Okay. Um, but it was, uh, but, but that, was, that was one of the odd things. With the, the, after a while, people, once they knew that I was there doing research, they were kind of wanting me to like, pick one of the others. Like, well... Ogopogo, he's, he's really closer to, to Cologne, isn't he? Or like, you know, Pennington, he, Pennington is, is not too far away. And so I was sort of like, you know, being asked to, to weigh in on the, uh, weigh in on, on which, which town should get the dubious distinction of being home to the monster. I, I have a question from an online listener. It says, uh, this is from Patrick Neville. It says, hi, I remember one episode you went back and looked at sh- the short history of the Chupacabra. Are there any other monsters uh, that have persisted through the ages, or do they mainly change as cultures change? Thanks for the great podcast, Patrick. Persisted through the ages. Uh, I'm, not, I'm not sure I understand the question. So, um, so Chupacabra is sort of a relatively new folkloric creature. Right. What about creatures that have survived? It's really similar to the question asked in the previous panel. Creatures that have survived. I, I could throw out uh, yeah. the creatures like mermaids. Uh, we just... <laughs> I would have thought mermaids are a, a creature that people have pretty much accepted as not real. They they, they kind of defy uh, anything. You know, if if just say this: if if a creationist wants to prove something that's non-evolutionary, find a mermaid. That's a good one. If it's half fish and scales from the waist down and mammal from the waist up, that's really messed up. Uh, and the, <laughs> I think even Dawkins would be somewhat surprised. Um, yeah. So. Uh, but yet, uh, just two years ago, people were reporting seeing mermaids off the coast of Israel. Mm-hmm. So um, they still happen. Um, people mm-hmm. still report rocks, uh, not the things on the ground, but the giant. <laughs> I stars. saw a rock. You <laughs> want to see it? Look, I got it right here. I captured it. Hold we're it. at war with our rock. Oh, my God. <laughs> so. No, come on. <laughs> God, long 12 minutes. Um, uh, no, I mean, that's, that's part of it is that, you know, what you find is that Many of the the, the sort of like classic creatures uh, from mythology, the Medusa, the harpies, things like that, no one really reports those these days. 
uh, dragons, for example. For it, and what you have to understand is that not too long ago, before the world was, was far more explored, many people, so many people, the question was an open question. You know, maybe there's you know weird things out there. Uh, you know, the giraffe and the lowland gorilla. Many of these things that we we all know what they are. We can pull them up on the internet. There's books about them. Two hundred years ago. This was not common knowledge, and who knows what was in Africa? Maybe dinosaurs. So the, 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 there's, there's an element of, of scientific enlightenment that's really come about the last, you know, say, 100, 150 years uh, that, that sort of there, there's a modern enlightenment in which, as, as, he, as he noted, uh, you know, most likely the mermaids aren't there, but again, every now and then off the coast of Israel, someone sees one or something that looks like it. So, um, so yeah, I mean, they're, they're, many of the classic stuff, People don't really report. Uh, was, was the cockatrice? What, there was something. You're going to make a pun on that, aren't you? No, I was not. Um, actually, I was thinking about uh, another creature that, uh, with the growth of uh, human communities all over Europe, uh, trolls uh, mm-hmm. have been forced to pretty much live on the internet. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> oh, this is a tough crowd. <laughs> Well, no, but but no, but that, that's but not. He brings up an interesting point because well, it's like, uh, it depends monster on, talk making you boo your iPod since nineteen. <laughs> yeah, I mean, again, it really is culture specific. For example, um, you know, in many places, Scandinavia, people believe in trolls. Uh, this is not a joke. They, in fact, they were in some places. They actually have to sort of ask permission if they're building a road. Uh, if any, if any Scandinavian, tell me if I'm making this up. But if they're if they're building a, if they're putting a road through a pasture, um, they somebody from the local community has to go to the pasture and ask permission. I don't know exactly how this is done. They probably wouldn't want me there anyway. Um, ask permission for the trolls to, to build the road through. I don't know. If there's ever been denied. Uh, that would be <laughs> we object. <laughs> um, but but no. But seriously, there 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 in many places there are beliefs of these, like the duendes I mentioned earlier. Do they have um, troll booths? Troll booths. Yeah. Is there off on that? Um, but no. But but for example, the, the the duendes that I mentioned earlier. I mean, belief in duendes is persistent um, throughout the Caribbean and in Latin America, Nicaragua. Um, uh, Costa Rica, places like that, Belize. Um, so uh, again, this isn't to, to them. What's fascinating is if you talk to them, they wouldn't lump the Bigfoot in a, with a duende. We're like, well, Bigfoot's, you know, that's that crazy thing. We have duendes here, uh, and, and in many cases, what you find is that another person's monster is our is our. Well, everyone knows these things exist. You know, <laughs> who's doubting this? Um, and so, it, it, in many cases, it is culture specific. Again, Scandinavians with trolls, uh, duendes in, in, in Latin America. Um, so, while we would sort of lump them together as being creatures whose existence uh, is, is unproven or certainly is dubious, to, to many of them, it's not. They're not thinking about it in those in those points of view. Assuming I can ask about ghosts. Sure, feel free. Well, uh, it's in the spirit of things. You know, you, no, come on. <laughs> you've got stuff like, uh, well, I mean, all of it's questionable, of course, in some perspective, but you have stuff like orbs and poltergeists and stuff. Why does everybody, you know, all, always, you know, immediately group these things into the, it's the dead coming back from the grave? You know, what? why is there always, why does it have to be, you know, dealing with the dead? Why, why can't it be something else? 
That's a good question. Yeah, that's that's like the. Uh, um, there's a lot of serious. Did you actually turn the off? Thank you. Yes, I did. <laughs> nice. And I will be thanked for it later. That's the most technical thing he's done this whole weekend. So, <laughs> so, so the question is, uh, why the dead? And I think that's a, a really good question because um, uh, there's a lot of other psychic-type phenomena. Uh, people might say, uh, I think – oh, there's a, a human glo- – the Human Global Consciousness Project, mm-hmm. which says that uh, humans – um, they've got these little things that do a one or a zero, these little electrical devices, and they collect the data. And they've, they've noticed that before big tragedies that there's spikes in the non-randomness of these data collectors, and there's thousands of these data collectors. And they're postulating that human consciousness uh, collectively as people, we are pre-event, like before the event happens, uh, making changes in the non-randomness of this, this device. But why human consciousness? How can we discern that it's not dog consciousness? Or alien consciousness. Or alien consciousness or the, the work of snails in their devious, devious, slimy ways. I, I don't know. Uh, so why – I guess maybe in the case of ghosts uh, or in, in the, as people who really study this from a paranormal side would say that those are different phenomena. You've got poltergeists and hauntings and apparitions and spirits and there's just lots and lots of different ways of classifying these things again that's why my policy is look at the specific phenomena and then figure out if there's a cause for it or not and even if there's not a cause what's the biggest fallacy in paranormal investigation argument from ignorance absolutely if i don't know what it is it's got to be x and this goes back to Daniel's question of why, you know, if, if I don't know what it is, it's got to be a Bigfoot, right? Or it, it's got to be a, a Chupacabra or it's got to be my Uncle Herman. You know, I, you know it, it, it's just I don't actually have an Uncle Herman. So, But I, I think it has to do more with us as people than what the actual phenomena is. We, we bring our own uh, biases and wishes and hopes well, that's true. Right. That's true. And if something mysterious is a, a human consciousness, that's better than a demon. And how would you know if it's a demon or not? You know, I don't know. Yeah, I, it's, it's what, what people bring to it. I mean, that's so. that's that's it's interesting when you when yeah yeah it's it, when you see phenomena and and you know you can have exactly the same phenomena that will be described uh, in as very very different in different cultures and different times. Um, one one example is um, uh, animal mutilations. Uh, if you, you could have a dead animal, tasty, huh? You could have a dead animal that apparently has been sucked of blood or has organs drained out, or, or to take, you know, to take your pick from the, the different uh, claims about it. And that same dead cow or, 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 um, or uh, oh, never mind. That, well, that same cows, dead animal, yeah, yeah. mostly cow, <laughs> that same dead animal. What's interesting is that if it appeared, if it was found, say, in the late 1970s um, in Montana, it would be considered the work of Satanists. Satanists are going out there eviscerating cows, doing weird things. If it was found in mid-'80s New Mexico, well, it's UFOs. Aliens are coming down and doing experiments, whatever else. If it was found in um, late-'90s either New Mexico or Puerto Rico, it is a chupacabra. Exactly. So you have the, the exact same phenomena is being interpreted in three completely different ways. Um, and so to my mind, that, that sort of... Four. Four? Four ways? Four, yeah. So. There's, there's what actually happened. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So. And then there's what actually happened. 
Let, let me just uh, say one thing. Uh, now, of course, only Blake and I are here. Our, our co-host, Karen Stolzno, is uh, is in... Colorado. Colorado. And, uh, She's uh, investigating the Frogman. That's true. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, so. But, uh, but yeah, I just wanted to see that it's, it's not just us. Unfortunately, she was not able to be here. We, we wanted to Skype her in, but she wasn't able to make it, so... Uh, but I, I did want to say that uh, I'm especially pleased to uh, to have a chance to be on on, um, on Monster Talk because, frankly, uh, Blake does most of the work. Um, <laughs> uh, well, it, it's, it's true. Uh, and uh, I, I sort of lend my name and expertise and this and that. But really, um, Blake is the was the, the mastermind behind it, and uh, he has to clean up all my ums and ahs and, and, you know. Mother trucker. And things like that that come out of my mouth uh, that needs to be cleaned up. And Humpty Doos. And um, in that in that spirit, I would like to present Blake Whoa. with a plaque that says, Monster Talk, congratulations to Blake Smith for one year of podcasts and 10,000 downloads per month. Uh, it's our anniversary, so good job, Blake. Thanks. Holy crap. <laughs> wow. That is beautiful. Thank you so much. That's awesome. I actually brought some swag for you guys. I didn't get enough for everybody, but I got a few things here. This is who likes silly bands? Anybody? Probably nobody. But I bet if you have any children in your life, kids love them. Okay, these are uh, these are paranormal silly bands. We got Bigfoot, the Loch Ness monster, the Jersey Devil, aliens, Mothman, and a ghost, and they glow in the dark. So, so. <laughs> all right, so let's, <laughs> let's open, try open, again. Open up throwing them out. You want to throw out the silly bands? Yeah. Holy crap. That's a, uh, I, can do that. I guess that's enough for everybody, probably. There you go. And the cool thing about silly bands is... It's, <laughs> well, turn the lights out and you can find them. All oh, right. that's right. Turn the lights out and you can find them. It's just like ghost hunting. So <laughs> ah, there you go. I'm going to keep Bigfoot. <laughs> ah, there you go. All right. Thanks, you guys, for coming. I really appreciate it. We've got a minute and 34 seconds if anybody else has a question. Uh, do I do enough punch per show? Do I need more? No. <laughs> more. 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 Just, just a quick question. The, the 40 and Times, a magazine both of you have written for, mm -hmm. do you feel that in them keeping such an open mind that nothing is ever solved, are they, are they helping understanding what's going on or do you feel they're helping to perpetuate myths or is it somewhere in between and i realize this is personal opinion. that's a fantastic question mm -hmm. um the good the thing about 40 and times is the readership is the readership that we should as skeptics be reaching out to yeah. so i'm i'm really pleased that they're willing to run a skeptical well-investigated article mm -hmm. and also that they pay so <laughs> yes and, and why, why did you, your article on ghosts and those those, those faces that were seen on the, the watertown investigation Well, that's a great question. Actually, Skeptical Inquirer. Actually, in the next issue of uh, Skeptical Inquirer. Well, we've got, yeah, one of my investigations is coming up in SI. Uh, but in that particular case, they approached me and asked for that article and uh, offered me really nice money. So, I mean, I really appreciate it. I, I mean, because honestly, most of this paranormal investigation stuff is uh, an act of uh, something that I really just enjoy doing. It's something I'm passionate about, and it's not something I get paid for. I mean, except for my big pharma checks, I hardly make any money on this at all. Uh, so, uh, well, <laughs> right. excellent. Thank you so Thank much you all for, for coming. coming and listening.
Hungry for more skepticism? Want to learn the truth about the scientific controversies of our time? Then subscribe to Skepti, the quarterly magazine Stephen Jay Gould called the best journal in the field. To subscribe, visit Skeptic.com today. Why pay more for a separate CoQ10 supplement? Enjoy twice the benefits with Superbeats Heart Choose Advanced. From the number one doctor, pharmacist, and cardiologist recommended beet brand for heart health support, the new Super Beats Heart Chews Advanced by Human is now infused with CoQ10. That's essentially like getting CoQ10 for free. Our powerful blend of beetroot, grapeseed extract, and CoQ10 ingredients support nitric oxide production, healthy blood pressure, healthy CoQ10 levels, and heart healthy energy with two tasty chews a day. Plus, Superbeats Heart Chews Advance are plant-based, so you get heart-healthy energy without stimulants. For a limited time, get a free 30-day supply of Superbeats Heart Chews on all bundles and 15% off your first order by going to RadioBeats.com and using promo code DEAL. That's RadioBeats.com, code DEAL.